Two ornate stairwells, um, a podcast about baking bread. I'm Autumn. I'm joined as always by Nia. Hi, I'm Neve. Um, as you know, this is a podcast. Every week we talk about our adventures in baking. Um, I had a bit earlier that I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Did I mess up your bit by doing? I bit? just don't even remember what it was. You started doing this bit, and that <laughs> reminded me that I had a bit, but I don't remember what the bit was. Well, yeah, so today I baked a bread. Uh, well, okay, so I made the dough Tuesday. I did the classic no-need dough recipe, um, uh, originally developed by Jim Leahy, passed down by countless food bloggers in the last 15 yeah. years. I do the no-need for pizza dough, The no but need not for bread. The no-need pizza dough is even better, I think, than the no-need bread loaf. The no-need bread loaf, yeah. very good, but the no-need pizza dough... Mm. We have a stand mixer, so that like changes the the math on it. Oh yeah. Where I, if I'm doing a if I'm doing a loaf, I'm gonna do that. But I I do like the no need for. I for do own pizza. A a hand me down stand mixer. I would not have. I do not bake enough. Uh, which is weird because I do a baking podcast every week. Yeah. But I do own a stand mixer. The issue is... You don't that have I do the not... counter space for a stand mixer. Yeah. Is that I would have to get the stand mixer out of the box where it lives to set it up on the, like, you know, like 10 inches by 14 inches of counter space I have in my kitchen. Yeah. And then after I finish baking or, or, or mixing up the bread, put it away again. <laughs> Yeah. Um but yeah, my uh, I think next time going to cook the bread going to keep the bread in the oven a little less. I got a little I thought the burnt bit tasted good, but it did make the crust a little too hard to chew. Um I have a, I have a certain appreciation for that, but I do too, but I think um some of the other people that we were serving did not. So Yeah. Um I will so I like that, but partially so we were just having it with butter on it. Mm-hmm. But like if I was having the Indian food with the curry, yeah, I just like cook some. We we did like a picnic. Yeah, um, I probably would have just been taking that and dip because I like it when it's really crusty and then you like get it in a sauce. Yeah, see, I think I think Nora was like, 
mm, this is too crusty for me. And then I saw her dipping it in the curry. So I assume that she found a solution to the too crusty yeah. issue. So that's like part of the joy of the really crusty bread is that mm-hmm. you can like, yeah. I really like that uh, jam my mom made for me. I'm going to have to ask her for a recipe on making jam. Mm. Emily does a lot of canning too, but... I mean, I'm sure that you want your mom's yeah. recipe, but if you need, like, general... Because the one thing is that, like, there's stuff you need to, like, properly can. So. Oh, right. Canning is, like, a process. That's not just, like, a yeah. thing you can do. I, I mean, mean, it is. It is. Like, you're basically but just... But you have to know what you're doing, because yeah. you have to sterilize everything. And... Yes. And there... You could probably figure out stuff that you have or just get like a few, but like Emily has like, oh, here are the proper, like easy to sanitize tongs that like perfectly fit around so you can reach in and grab the things that you just sanitized out to then dump them out. And yeah, maybe I should get into pickling. That is a like lower stakes canning thing. It feels like of just like, ah, make sure you don't let any of the bad stuff in. Yeah. You know? Turns out the salt will take care of most of the rest of your issues. And mm-hmm. the alcohol. alcohol. Not alcohol. I mean, if you're fermenting. Yeah, like, I guess. Anyway. It's um, like producing some in the fermentation process. Well, that's all our baking content for the week. And unfortunately, we're only at four minutes. Did you do anything else this week? Um, I did. You know me. Uh-huh. I have a real appreciation for just like... You know, really raunchy romance novels. I know this about you. That's one yeah. of the things that I know about you. Um, and so that's normally all I do is I read them. Yes. Right. <laughs> but I decided it was finally time for me to get around to watching the Twilight movies. Oh. Because I've read all those books like easily 20 times. Yeah. yeah. That's that's the thing that everybody knows about you is yes. that you're constantly reading the Twilight novels. Yes. <laughs> They're Al- so alternate, raunchy. Alternate universe me where instead of being really into Nana, I'm Mormon and I'm really into Twilight. <laughs> anyway. I guess we've broken kayfabe yeah, now. We've broken kayfabe. <laughs> I feel like kayfabe's been kind of broken already. Um, so you watch the Twilight movie. I'm still trying to figure out what the bit was. I don't I know. I had in my head. Oh, that I definitely I had know. some bit. I thought you were asking about the bit I was doing, and I was like, I don't know. I just kind of was... Yeah. <laughs> I was, like, at work. The big thing is I just had a weirdly busy day at work in terms of, like, I just had a lot of meetings. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I was in a meeting, and then I'd just be thinking about what would be a funny bit to do. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah. And I had a really funny one. Mm-hmm. And now it's gone. Anyway, <laughs> I did, in fact, watch all of the Twilight movies. That part was not a bit... <laughs> What um, did you make of the Twilight Saga? Well, one, some explanation for how I got here. Uh-huh. So I've had a kind of busy week as well because it's just been like, so like the start of this week, basically, like over the weekend, we did a bunch of stuff because it was Labor Day weekend, right? Mm. Was, this, was that Labor Day week? Was that really just? That was just a few days ago was Labor Day. Okay. Yep. Um, And on Sunday... Uh, a friend of Emily and I, um, they had a birthday party, and they're just really big into Twilight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it wasn't, like, super. It was like we had, like, hot pot and boba tea, like, made boba tea. But then, because, like, they're really into to, um, Twilight, they came dressed in, like... Because they like Jacob, and so they had, like, a wolf plushie in, like, the clothing that oh, Bella okay. wears. And then 
um, just the first Twilight was on throughout the party. Okay. And Emily knows most of it because it's like her work friends. Yeah. So I know a few people, but Emily knows all of them. And I was like, okay, you just like, you go ahead and hang out. And our toddler has come to this party as well. And so I'm just going to entertain the toddler. Mm -hmm. Um, And most of it was happening in the kitchen. That's where like the life of the party was because the hot pot was there and everything. Right. So we were just sitting where the actual TV was, and I watched most of the first Twilight mm-hmm. while also like entertaining a toddler. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of—it was one of those things of just like I haven't like really watched it because I don't expect it to be that good. Um, but I am just like I like vampire stuff, right? Um, and then Emily wanted to watch all of the Twilights. Mm-hmm. So we watched all of the Twilights. Um, there's, there were a couple, like, she watched Breaking Dawn Part 2 Yeah, th- so this while was... we were watching a movie last night, and then I I watched Breaking Dawn Part 2 while we're... So the other thing is that I could very easely, if if I missed stuff because I had a podcast or I had to do, like, work for a podcast or I just wasn't paying attention because I was tired and was going to build some gunpla and go to bed... Um, these movies are so slowly paced that I could very, very easily put them on 2x speed in the background while I worked. So this was Especially having like half watched a number of them while like Emily was watching them and I was doing something. That was the thing that surprised me. It was that while we were watching Eraserhead, Emily was watching Breaking Dawn Part 2 and I thought to myself, oh, I guess Nia's not going to watch that last Twilight movie. That's the one that I... I don't like that movie, but I do enjoy it because it's a stupid movie. Yeah. Um, and I was a little bummed that you were not going to catch the last Twilight movie. So I was delighted when you told me, oh, I finished re- walking. I finished watching Breaking Dawn Part 2. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I watched all five of these movies. Uh-huh. Um, oh, the other thing is that 2X Speed, there are still some times where I'm like, they could really speed this up a little bit. <laughs> Real quick. <laughs> These movies are so poorly paced. Real quick. Does this count as Nia's erotic thriller corner? Kind <laughs> So, <laughs> I have my, like, overarching thing of what Twilight is. Uh-huh. As someone who really likes vampire erotic thriller horror uh-huh. stuff. Which is that, like, mm. vampires... In, in a lot of media, this is definitely not all media, but like a major thing that even goes back to Dracula about vampires is that they represent like some sort of like deviant or monstrous or uh, dangerous sexuality, mm-hmm. right? And you go back to the original Dracula and it's like these were the European, me- uh, European men are going to steal our women. Right. But that's still like a dangerous sexuality. Yes. And what happens as it progresses is that a lot of queer people latch onto vampires because there's so much inherent in it with like one just, okay, like deviant or dangerous sexuality. This is the way that like queer sexuality is viewed by right. society. Then an AIDS pandemic happens that affects blood like, blood, and that affects the queer community mm-hmm. that's also being like demonized in these ways mm-hmm. gains additional meaning. You know about the hemo well. goblin? So anyway. Don't worry about it. 
<laughs> Listeners, please Google the Hemo Goblin. Be prepared to be offended. Yeah, but, this you is know, like a this is a DC Comics yeah. character. Don't worry about it. I do know about it, and that's why I just kept on yeah. moving. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the project of Twilight is to is to essentially for like a broader straight female audience primarily is to decouple the sex uh-huh. from the vampire. Yes. That is what it, in a way that is like pointed where the, the best of the movies is the first one. Uh-huh. When I was putting in the directors, I was not surprised to find out that the first one was the one that was directed by a woman. Right. It is the, it is the one where I feel like there's the clearest, like, one, there's just like the clearest story and arc happening there, whereas so many other ones are just disjointed because it's like always in some middle state of right. something. You right. get to Breaking Dawn Part 2 and you're getting the ending, but to what? Right. right. Like all of them are like weird. At a certain point, it becomes a TV show that you're watching as a movie. Like this is also a part of this thing of like the distinction between TV show and movies have become murky. Yeah, this I is think. like right at the start of the Marvel era. And this is definitely like, you know, I think of this and the Hunger Games movies as very much like yeah. hand in hand with the development of that like Marvel style that we've now spent the last yes. year and a half complaining about. And yeah, but also there's something here that feels a little bit different and outside of exactly what like the Marvel style is. And I think some of that is it became CW. Oh, yeah. You totally, know? totally, and, totally. And the ilk. It became yeah. the Netflix drama. Yes. Things 100%. Like I did not draw that connection in my head, but mm-hmm. you're totally right. <laughs> if they were going to make Twilight now, it would probably be a TV show on a streaming service. Yeah. Um, there's just a very high chance of that. Yeah. You know? Um, but anyway, the first one has this clearest, like, tension... And, and it really is about, like, Bella just wants someone to bite her and drink her blood. Uh-huh. When she finds out that vampires are real, Who she's like, us? I want that kinky teeth blood sex. Who among us? But Edward, and the, the thing is, there's stuff in here that if you are actually exploring it interestingly, could be really interesting. But Twilight is, like, is... I don't even think intentionally always doing these things. It's just arriving at it as a Mormon person writing a story about vampires, um, but still like steeped in a lot of like trad wife vibes, basically. Right. But Edward, despite being canonically within the story of Twilight, a monster who is beyond redemption and has been damned for all eternity, uh-huh. he's still all fucked up about how if he has sex, that makes him a bad person. Yes. <laughs> it's really fucking funny. Uh, and this is something that we'll just... I'll get to it as it goes on. This is going to um, develop... This will develop more. But she just wants to like get fucked and get bitten and just have that good kinky sex. And Edward's like, oh, I can't. I, I don't want to hurt you. Um, and then very specifically, the moment it climaxes with Edward has to, like, get over. I don't want to, like, bite you because that could be dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I, like, am going to, like, slightly lose control of myself. But there are going to be people around there who will, like, help me not fully lose control. And it is actually going to, like, save her from the, like, venom in her veins or whatever. Right. 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 But because of the way that it is framed, it is very specifically desexed. Yes. Him biting her is desexed because it is her dying, and it is like 
all the medical stuff, and then it's like as part of it, then he starts like having a bite to suck out some of the poison. Right? Yeah. And so that will continue. Yeah. Um, there are moments that like when they have sex start hinting at it a little bit, but there's never like a moment of actual like biting and feasting that happens during sex in any of the scenes. Yeah, those are two like separate like modes yes. of Yeah. Yeah. Intercourse, if um, you will. Then new moods the word uh, Nothing moons. happens in fucking New Moon. Moons. I mean, I guess if you like Jacob, but like both Edward and Jacob, there's some interesting things about them. They're mostly dweebs. I know a lot of people who do not like love triangles as a concept. They think love triangles are universally bad. And I guarantee you, you can trace that back to New Moon as a book and as a film is meandering and pointless and introduces a new boy because Love we needed we needed something yeah. you know i guarantee you that new moon is the reason that anybody who says they hate love triangles it, you can trace it back to that and maybe they have read 50 more love triangles since then and they still feel that way or maybe they haven't but i feel like the genesis of i hate love triangles is new moon <laughs> yeah it's just very bad um, the plot of it, it's so pointless. Um, did they do the reason that, did they, did they do the thing about Jacob and the kid in, yeah. in the movies? Okay. I for, couldn't remember. Yeah. That's fucked up. It's a very, it's also a very <laughs> weird way of like, well, we have to resolve the Jacob thing somehow. Yeah. So we made him attracted to a toddler, to a, to a to literal an infant, baby. to an infant. Yeah. She comes out of the womb and he's like, Hmm. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck that someday. In, in, Not right now, because I'm a good Mormon Native American boy. But in 18 years, there, there's a lot of weird, like Native mysticism bullshit. Oh, it's throughout so all bad. Twilight. It's so bad. Anyway, um, I don't even remember where some of this stuff happens with like Eclipse. I don't remember what happens. In Eclipse, I think. Straight I up. think there's some stuff that happens with Eclipse that's like developing it but in very much like a middle episode of a series thing where nothing's like really getting yeah things are developing though I feel like there's actual more development if I'm remembering what happens in Eclipse there's actual a little bit more development of the actual things happening but not in any like plot resolute way yeah um then Breaking Dawn part one and part two um Basically, so I th- they like get married right at the beginning of Breaking Dawn Part One. I think. I think that's right. Um, and maybe it builds. I think it's pretty early on. Anyway, um, yeah, because most of it is around having the baby. Mm-hmm. I think, and then a lot of Part Two is after the baby's born. I think that's right. Because I think Part One ends with Jacob seeing the baby and being like, "I'm gonna." <laughs> In in what will be revealed to be seven years because this baby's gonna grow very oh, quickly to adulthood. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna hit that. I anyway. forgot that the baby's gonna be an adult very soon, so it's fine actually. Yeah. The baby grows up super fast. In seven years the baby's a full grown adult. Yeah. That's how it's so it's, That's how like brains develop, right? So, that's yeah. how you know Anyway. All that matters in development is you can be mapped to a number, as we know, and it's not that, you know, seven-year-olds have less experience living, and that's why... <laughs> mm-hmm. 
What's anyway. also funny is New Moon talks about age gap stuff a lot. A lot. <laughs> but not in a way that in any way matters because it is like very clearly canonically stated that like whenever you turn, you just become arrested in that state of development. And so you're just eternally that age. Yes. In a way where like her not turning into a vampire. Which is actually more fucked up age gap. Also, not how that works. Okay, I'm not in an interview with the vampire person. I saw that movie one time years ago. I have not read the books. But I think it's really interesting as a premise to introduce this this person turned as a very young girl. As a, like, 10 or 12-year-old girl. And the interesting conflict between, ah... I have the experiences of a person who is 200 years old. In my head, I am 200 years old. However, I am seen as a as a 12-year-old, and I have the sort of prepubescent body that does not match, like, the wisdom of, of de- centuries of living. Twilight just says that's not a thing that would happen. Just says, Twilight. shrug, when you're 18, you're 18. <laughs> Twilight also says you're also not going to have someone permanently arrested at age zero. Well, or like a thing that happens in Breaking Dawn Part Two uh-huh. is they talk about there's the threat to Renesme. Uh huh. Stupid name. Who, if she was a boy, had been assigned male at birth, would be named Edward Jacob. <laughs> Which is so, it's the most I named you after the two hottest men I know. <laughs> anyway. So, they, like, uh, let me first get into Breaking Down Part 1, and then we'll get into Breaking Down Part 2, because I want to just re- talk about it. But, so, there is, so finally, they get married, and, like... <laughs> Edward has been a very good Christian boy for someone who has been forever damned to never be able to, like, feel the grace of God again, and just really believes in no sex until marriage. He has an eternal soul, and it is damned. And it is damned, and he still just doesn't feel good about having sex before getting married. So... Really funny that also and, Human Girl does not have the same compunction yes. about it. <laughs> so Bella just keeps being like, can you, can you like, can one, can you bite me? And I know that means like turn me. If you bite me, you have to like turn me or else you're just going to like kill me. Can you like bite me and turn me already? I just want to have a good gum. <laughs> so much of like the most of the series is just like, I want to get bit and cum is so bad. <laughs> I do not know. Like, I'm telling you in every way I know how. You are a literal demon. Why are we having to work through Christian sex guilt? You've had a century to go through therapy. (laughs) They invented therapy. You didn't go once. You didn't just get curious when Freud was around. (laughs) All he talked about was sex. <laughs> anyway, they finally get married, which means they can finally have sex. Real quick, Edward was a Civil War soldier, right? Was that is that am I remembering that right? Or is it someone else in the family? It's was? someone else in the family and was specifically a Confederate. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Okay, continue. 
Um, anyway, I think it's the, the guy who, uh, is dating Edward's sister. The other yes. part that's funny is because Edward makes this whole big thing about, like, the family, like, believes uh-huh. in, like, this is just our, like, family tradition and it goes way back and yes. that's why I want to have sex until I get married. Meanwhile, his sister Alice is like, hey, so I arranged it so that you and Edward can be alone tonight. <laughs> wink, <laughs> wink. Go ahead, get that spooky dick, girl. <laughs> I'm like, this is not the, your family. You just, you just have shit about sex. You need to figure out. But anyway, <laughs> That's so fucking funny. But he never figures out this thing about sex because they get married, and before he turns, they're like, "Well, let's have sex." And it's there's a thing that's specifically happening in the book around like the sex between them, even though it's that good kinky sex that she wants. Mm-hmm. Inherently has to be bad. Mm-hmm. Textually within it, it is bad and dangerous. Yes. And she gets hurt, and he's like, like she has like some scratches and like bruises or something, and he's like, oh no, I I did this and yeah. like I shouldn't have done it. I hurt you. And she's literally like, no, can't you see how happy I am? Uh huh. But the world agrees with him. Yes. The text of it agrees with him that she, like. What happened was bad because what then happens is a thing that has literally never happened before until they finally find evidence of one other person where this happened. That was like a really remote tribe, more tribal mysticism bullshit. Yeah. But anyway, where uh, it never before has a vampire had sex with a human and that it results in a baby and the baby's going to kill her. Because mm. it's some weird, you know, half de- or half vampire baby or whatever. Right. Um, and so she just get like sickly and everything. Mm-hmm. And the thing that it happened, the thing that I got the most mad about is like, so all that stuff's going to happen of her, like getting pregnant and everything. Oh no, this happens later. Anyway. Yeah. So all that happens, she gives birth. She's like dies during childbirth. And then finally they, he like brings her back as a vampire or whatever. Right. And then once she's a vampire. They can now have sex where now sometimes she needs to control her strength a little bit, but they're like an equal playing field. And now the sex is good. Uh Uh-huh. And I just, and like, there's a part where like, she like goes in as if to like bite his neck, but you never get like an actual blood drinking moment. No. She could just as easily be kissing his neck. Yeah. Um. Fucking silly. (laughs) Yeah. But so this is a great moment in Breaking Dawn Part 2. Where she just has sex, like, very early in that that movie. Uh, and then she immediately finds out that her dad is coming over in ten minutes. Uh-huh. And textually, she has to act normal as, like, because her dad doesn't know that she's a vampire. And now she has all these powers. She can move really quickly. Blah, blah, blah. And they're, like, trying to coach her through how to act like a normal human being around another human. But. Metatextually. Metatextually, it's about. You just had kinky blood sex. And now you found out you have to hang out with your dad? Yeah. (laughs) And that should have been the entire movie. Who among us? (laughs) Just, like, I just got laid. (laughs) I just got home from getting laid. I was not expecting mom to still be up. (laughs) (laughs) Who among us? (laughs) I just think it would have made a much better movie than what it 
it instead happens, which is the baby starts growing rapidly. It's some special baby, blah, blah, blah. Baby has the power of like touching people and anyone believes and loves her or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one person sees from afar who's part of the Volturi clan who I haven't talked about at all because they're stupid and dumb and they don't matter. But they, there's this whole thing where, where, uh, it's so funny because the way it's specifically f- framed is like, you know, you see this story in the past of like, we can't like turn children uh-huh. because they stay arrested in that, like whatever age they are. And so like, if you have a toddler, they're just going to be having tantrums constantly, but now they have the powers of a vampire. Mm. And me with a toddler, I'm like, yeah, this sounds like it'd be kind of annoying to deal with. And then in the scene where they're explaining why they can't do this and like what happens if you do, one of the Volturi people then just takes the child, lifts it up, smiles into the face of this toddler, and then throws it to fire. <laughs> throws it into just flames. <laughs> so then it becomes this thing of like the the Volturi want to kill the the baby because they don't believe whatever, and really they're just looking for a reason to have a fight. Uh, because they then do this whole thing. So the whole thing it resolved. You were laughing about this because the- this is this is the reason I like this movie is that like in the book, um, Alice has a vision of them fighting, and it's like I had a vision. We're all gonna die, and everybody's like. Well, I guess I believe her. I guess we won't fight. In the film, some boardroom person somewhere says, like... We need to have a climactic fight. Right. Where where two groups of people run at each other across a snowy field while shouting, and then they clash. We need some the dollar store Dragon Ball Z shit to happen. <laughs> it's not even that. It's no. every knockoff. It's Lord of the Rings did this but well. And uh-huh. then everything else just thinks that the cool part is when people run at each other and clash. And that's not the cool part. No, that is not the cool part. Yeah. It's also 300. The cool 300 happened. The cool part is when Gandalf... Do you remember that racist movie 300? I, I watched it earlier this yeah. year. That's the other thing that happened here. Um, The cool part is when Gandalf and the Witch King are about to have a fight. And then the Witch King is like... No, I gotta go do something else right now. Yeah. That shit's sick as hell. <laughs> um. Anyway, the other thing though that gets set up in all of this, so as it's coming towards the end, and then I was like, oh man, like basically, like they're gonna win, but like, like the side that we want to win is going to like be triumphant. But man, a lot of people are gonna die. And there's the part where. It was, like, literally, like, right before they revealed, because they, like, killed the main Volturi. And I was, like, thinking about, because there's the moment... I I had, like, an inkling that this is what was happening. And then this is where I thought it was all going to get confirmed. Because there's the part where Alice goes, she's the one who has to, like, can see the future. Mm -hmm. Holds the, like, Volturi guy's hand so that she can share that vision. Mm -hmm. And then you see the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But in that, you think it's just her sharing, like, oh, let me show you... Like, that this kid's going to grow up and be fine. Uh-huh. <clears throat> but then they still want to fight, and so then it, like, you know, escalates anyway, and then there's a big fight, and then he has seen all of that, and so now he doesn't do the things to escalate stuff. Right? That's, like, how it ends up. Right. That's how the whole thing goes. Yeah. That's how they do the fake. There's a thing that gets set up earlier, which is that there are people who come from some vague African jungle 
group. Yeah. More weird, racist, native mysticism. Mm-hmm. These two characters never speak a word. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll get, like, characters who will speak in Spanish. Right. These characters, we're not going to get someone who can speak an African language. No. They're just going to be completely silent. But we find out that they have the power where one of them can make, can, like, project into someone's mind and show them a vision that will take over their normal vision. And they have a thing that sets up that this is her power, and they show it in action. So through all of that, I was going to be like, is the plan, it's not even we're going to show them the actual future, but we are going to show them a future where they die. Mm-hmm. We are going to make them think that Alice is sharing the vision, but she's going to project into his head to show like an even worse one for them, to like further convince them. A thing that would have like made sense as a plot. Mm-mm. Like as a, like, ha, they tricked them, they're like, nope. you know... Nope. Sillier than that. So. More pointless than that. But yeah. Um, in the end, it's just, it's weird how much this strives to, like, de-sex the vampire. Uh-huh. While still being, like, we, we want this to be a romance thing that's, like, about sex. But we have to specifically de-sex the vampire because we have to figure out how to talk about, like, good Christian sex in a way that you can't with the vampire. As, like, an image. Uh And so we have to decouple the sex from the vampire, and then we can, like, deal with the two things separately to, like, redeem both. And so then the ultimate thing of why it's sexy to, like, be with a vampire is not that you get to have, like, weird deviant queer sex with, like, blood and you get to, like, live forever and whatever. Right? Right. It's none of that stuff. None of that stuff. It's if you become a vampire, you can buy a wedding photo frame... (laughs) <laughs> that says Mr. and Mrs. together forever or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can like sit and look at it together and be like, <laughs> get it? Because we're never going to die. <laughs> I'm going to the grocery store. You want anything, babe? <laughs> yeah. Blood, please. Oh, yeah. I was going to yeah. get some blood. <laughs> yeah. Um, it is also funny that they keep talking about how they like hunt and like kill animals. And I'm like, you know that they're like, there's like blood puddings. You can probably just go to like a good butcher and be like, can you give me some blood? And they're not going to question it. There's, you're just going to be like, yeah, I just make my own black pudding every week. I, it's really funny to think about the, um, the Cullen clan, like slowly, but surely destabilizing the ecosystem of the, the you know, yeah, <laughs> of the Northwestern United States of just like, Hey, there's this like, really dangerous predator species that's been hunting, like, all the deer out of... (laughs) And we cannot fucking figure out what's going on there. Oh, the other thing that I got frustrated with, with Breaking Dawn Part 2 especially, is that as someone who has a child who is in the queer community, I have had other queer people say to my face that, like, having a kid is, like, embracing heteronormative blah, blah, blah. Mm. You know? And is, like... uh you know, what's the word I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of. Assimilationist and all these things. That, like, inherently queerness is a thing that is, like, childless. Right. And having a child is a thing that is thus not queer. Mm -hmm. There's no way to, like, have a child and to, like, do that in a thing, in a way that is going to, like, be queer and break in any way with, like, heteronormative problems Mm -hmm. in society. This is a silly take. Yes, Silly is the nice word I would use. Now, 
if I, a queer person, were, was going to be given Twilight, like they just gave me, here's the stuff of Twilight, now make something else out of it. Uh-huh. I would be like, ah, there's interesting thing to do here about like a group of people that believe that this like vampire society must always remain like childless. Right. Any child's like must be expunged from the society because it's not part of it. But instead it just becomes more about how like, Oh, Bella and Edward get to have their like trad family. Yeah. It does become the assembly. It, yeah. It's so stupid. Um, it's so, they very frequently will CGI on a face for the baby. You know how like you'll be watching a movie for kids. Mm hmm. And the main cast is, like, a cat and a dog and a raccoon. Right. And the raccoon's helping the cat and dog get home or something. Right. And they'll talk to each other. Uh-huh. And you'll do the, they'll do the CG thing where the mouth... It'll be a real photo, like, a real video of a raccoon, but the mouth will be moving with the words. Right. And you do that with CG. Yeah. And they don't do that with the mouth for the baby. They do that with the eye. I mean, they do it so that the like baby will smile when they want it to smile and things. Mm-hmm. But they do it with the eyes so they can have the eyes all like look around and stuff. And it's so funny every single fucking time it happens. <laughs> it's so it's it has the same where you're just like, this is not real. How are the stairs in the Twilight Saga? There are a lot of stairs. Most of them are meant to show how um, rich and opulent and yeah, like. Blah blah blah. Different spaces are. Oh, they just have like a cool house. The columns have this cool house that has m- multiple stairs, and they go downstairs. None of them have any uh, like actual symbolic importance. There's some where it's like, oh, I guess you're like going down the stairs to go to the prom or whatever. There's a lot of stairs. Like, None of them really stuck out. Struck, there's no stuck like out. Yeah, there's no like stairwell scene. Yeah. You know. If I had to pull an image for a cover from Twilight, if we did Twilight as the official movie for this episode, I'd be able to find lots of stairs. None Ooh. of them are going to be like an yeah. important stairwell scene, though. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to do individual uh, grades for these. It's just be for all of them. Sure. You're, you're all one TV show to me. <laughs> well, I watched. I watched a couple of things. Had the quiet return of movie autumn this week. Yeah. I'm not like, oh my gosh, I'm going to watch four movies every week. It's just like, oh, I watched some movies this week. You know? Yeah. So first up, I watched um, Light the Fuse, Sartana is Coming. Um, So a couple months ago, Nora watched um, If You See Sartana, Pray for Your Death. Uh, Sartana being a series of um, spaghetti westerns post, you know, Fistful, post Django, very much in that same space. Um, Nora and I watched the movie, the first movie, more or less together, and I enjoyed it just fine. I don't like it as much as any of the Django movies I've seen, but I thought that first movie was just fine. Um, I came home from work, and she was about an hour into the light the fuse sartana is coming which i think is like it's like the third or fourth movie i think but it's like who cares it's not like any of these connect you know it's some movie later in the series she was about an hour in so i only watched like the last 30 minutes i didn't watch enough of it that i was going to rate it on letterboxd but i wanted to talk about it here because i thought that movie was a hoot 
and a half. Um, that movie's just a lot of fun. I cannot speak to the first hour, but Nora assures me that the whole movie was very good. Um, Nora and Olivia both um, assure me that the movie is very good. Um, and, oh, real quick. Um, the guy who stars uh, in most of the Sartana movies, one movie they replace him, but the one, the main Sartana guy, would you like to know his name? Sure. Johnny Garko. G-I-A-N-N-I Garko. <laughs> and I thought they were doing a Donnie Darko joke at me for like a good 15 minutes before realizing, no, his name actually is Johnny Garko. <laughs> anyway, um, Light the Fuse ends with this big... So, so Sartana's gimmick that sort of sets, sets him apart from the other spaghetti western guys is that he's big on like traps and gadgets basically and so there's a big set piece at the end of the film um and i can say this because like me saying it does not convey how good this is because you you have to see this to really take it in yeah uh so sartana double crosses this person double crosses that person double crosses this person as as you do um and eventually the whole army is coming into town, and they're going to kill Sartana. And Sartana is sitting in the middle of the town with an organ for no reason, like a pipe organ. <clears throat> and they're all like, charge! He starts playing the organ. The pipes turn down and become a cannon. <laughs> he starts launching artillery fire at the army. So they pull back. And he starts playing different keys on the organ, and it becomes just like, you know, a machine gun like Django has in his coffin. <laughs> or like, at one point, they're like, flank him! And he plays, like, the lowest note on the organ, and the, the pipe comes down this way and shoots him. <laughs> it's fucking silly as shit. <laughs> um, so, a lot of... There was a couple of good set pieces I saw, um... You really should watch the whole 90-minute movie just for that little organ scene. Honestly, truly. Like, it's a short movie. Um, if that interested you at all, I would highly recommend. All the movie that I saw was very good, and it's, you know, short enough movie that I think it's worth it just for that, like, final set piece. Um, Stairs? Uh, that, the, the other reason I wanted to mention this on the podcast. Fucking superb Stairs. I was really disappointed in the first Sartana's movie, Stairs, when I saw it, because... It's in this saloon um, that has some good stairs that I felt were underutilized. This movie really utilized the stairs well. Like Sartana makes a dramatic entrance on the stairs. A guy gets shot and falls downstairs. Uh, uh, you know, people chase Sartana upstairs and then he turns around and shoots them. You know, the whole stairs everywhere. Fantastic stairs. Nice. Um, uh also, all those Sartana movies... By the way, these are all on Arrow. Um, they all have fantastic titles. Uh, Nora's favorite of the of the titles is... Um, uh, Sartana is coming. Trade your pistol for a coffin. <laughs> 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 Fucking sick as hell. <laughs> it's all, Also, it's Sartana is coming. Dot, dot, dot. Trade your pistol for a coffin. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, next, another movie I saw on Arrow. Um, I just um, wanted to put something on. I opened the app. I looked at the genres. I clicked action. I clicked the very first movie that came up. Didn't I didn't bother to look up what year it came out. I didn't bother to look up what, what the synopsis was. I just clicked the first action movie. Yeah. I got this movie called Savage Dawn. It's a 1985 film starring um, Lance Henriksen, uh, just before Alien, or Aliens. Um, it's got uh, George Kennedy, um, who's like a character actor from the 60s, 70s, 80s that I kind of like. Um, that movie, stop me if you've heard this one. So there's a, like, there's a guy who used to be a soldier serving, like, you know... In this case, the government. Yeah. And he had purpose in his life. But now he's, like, lost that, you know, he's he's left the military and he's lost that. And he's just kind of wandering the, the, uh, the countryside, going from town to town, helping people. And he gets into town and there are some bad guys that are causing trouble in the town. And he decides to take care of it. Not for the money, but because he's just a good guy deep down. You ever heard of, you ever seen a movie where anything like that no, happens? No. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty original. Um, yeah. <laughs> it was also, it, okay. <laughs> so Savage Dawn, um, which is a title I don't feel great saying, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it is very intentionally like doing a thing of like, Ooh, I took these things from Kurosawa movies and I took these things from spaghetti westerns and I took these things from like American westerns and I took these things from over here. The most interesting thing about Savage Dawn as far as all that stuff goes is you know how like the first Mad Max movie it's not really clear like what kind of post-apocalypse this is. Is it like there was there like nuclear winter or is everybody just kind of an asshole now? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, it's not really clear, like, what the state of dissolution is of, of society in the first Mad Max movie. Like, you, go, there are towns in the first Mad Max movie, you know? Yeah. There are police forces still. And that's kind of what, like, Savage Dawn, it's set, like, somewhere outside of Vegas. And there are people who are going to Vegas. So presumably like Las Vegas is like a thing that still exists and people go there for like casinos and stuff and nightlife. But like out here, like 40 miles North of Vegas or wherever the fuck they are. Like it is a, it is a desert wasteland where roving gangs of bikers will just roll up on people and rape women. And there is no one's gonna do anything about it until you said the <laughs> the last thing about women. Uh huh. I was gonna joke. Oh, Reno. <laughs> <laughs> that joke like, goes out to my friend who lives in Reno. <laughs> there are like, okay, you know, okay. Content warning for this movie. There are like four or five rape scenes in this movie. And, like, there's no sort of consequence to any of them. It's just that the bad guys are evil bikers who love raping women. Yeah. That's it. Because it's an 80s movie, 
and you're watching this like on Skinamax, and they need to have titties every now and then. Yeah. So it's an '80s movie called Savage Dawn. Right. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, could I could I say something that's going to surprise you? Lance Henriksen kills all the evil bikers and then rolls out of town to go on to the next thing. No, and I've never seen a movie that's like this at all. Uh-huh. But does he in any way trick some of the evil bikers to turn against the other evil bikers? I kept waiting for it to happen. I was so... I wanted him to meet a second evil biker gang or something and and get them to double cross. He at no point double crosses the evil bikers. He just is like... Doesn't like them, is like, mm, there's too many of them, I shouldn't get involved. And then decides to get involved. That's it. I was very disappointed at the amount of double-crossing. Yeah. Just, and I've never seen a movie like this, so maybe the like nobody had thought of doing this before, so they hadn't gotten to that. And I'm just speaking as someone uh-huh. from 2022, where I've seen other stuff that's like obviously built off of. Yeah, obviously of other movies. Movie, <laughs> this movie's movie. really well-known, and people yeah. are ripping off this movie. Yes, and have riffed on it and developed it further. <laughs> but I just feel like I would have had them doing a double-cross. I would have had them do a double cross. I would have had them do a scene where Lance Henriksen gets captured and someone beats the shit out of him. They didn't do that either. You know? Wait, wait. Maybe, maybe there wasn't double crossing, but is there like a ragtag group of people that he did, I was he waiting. up? Kind and then he trains like some of the normal of, people to fight kind, back. Kind but of. then like all of it becomes this tragic thing about like how his role as a cop is like outdated and, and they're oh, all going to kind of like... A little tiny bit. So, okay, so he's... Okay, so it is a little bit of a seven samurai. <laughs> a, t- a tiny little bit. So he's ex-military. It's a one samurai. He's ex-military, <laughs> right? He's like, he's like basically a ronin. <laughs> yeah. Um, And he, the reason he comes to this town Wait, is... I should have said single samurai. Oh, right, I didn't tell you the craziest thing about this movie. Okay. Did you hear my joke about how I should have said single samurai? <laughs> <laughs> so... The reason he comes to town is because he knows George Kennedy's characters because George Kennedy, you know, they were, I don't think it, they don't say Vietnam, but it's supposed to be, yeah, we were in Vietnam together. That shit was crazy. But like George Kennedy's character was not, I don't think, a soldier in that way. He's paralyzed and so he probably saw combat, but like he's supposed to be an engineer character because in the big climactic action sequence, like... He's the one who's like, oh, I'm going to have, I'm going to be in my wheelchair or I'm going to be on a motorcycle wheelchair, I think. And I'm going to have my rocket launcher and I'm going to give my kids like some AKs or something. Um, so he, it's like Lance Henriksen and the people that he was already there to go see anyway. It's not like he gets the town together too. Yeah. Um, the, the, uh, the, the fucking bizarre insane thing about this movie (laughs) so lance henriksen gets to town and immediately this really like stunningly hot blonde woman walks up to him and starts making out with him right yeah and he's like oh hey whatever her name is i'm gonna say betty you know oh hey betty last time i saw you you were just a little kid and it's like sorry what Huh? So she, whatever relationship you had when she was 
quote, a little kid was such that now she feels like she should just come up to you and start making out before you even speak to each other. Tell me more about that, Lance. Let me... <laughs> so you gave the movie an S. No, I gave the stairs an S well, because yes. they throw... They, I gave this movie like three stars. <laughs> um, That's what I gave to the first Twilight movie. Um, Can I do three and a half for that one? I kind of liked that first Twilight movie. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I wanted to say about their weird relationship. The other thing is I thought it was going to be expounded upon. The, I kept ex- expecting the like the one like romantic scene where it's like, oh, the last time I saw you, blah, 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 blah. That never happens. All the acknowledgement is last time I saw you, you were just a little kid. And then he makes a joke about you really grew up since then. And like is checking her out, is, like, looking at her ass as he's like, you really grew up since then. Bizarre. Bizarre. I don't really think people should watch this movie. I had a good time with it. I don't really think people should watch this movie. (laughs) Anyway, um, there's a whole fight scene on stairs that does involve, at one point, a guy is shot, he falls down the stairs, but his motorcycle keeps going and launches off the stairs. So I gave it an S. There's also another shot where a guy is falling downstairs, and it goes, like, for a really long time. Like, for a, <laughs> a hilarious amount of time of just him just, oh, 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 oof, stairs, ow. <laughs> um, one, I checked Letterboxd. I did do uh, three stars mm-hmm. for um, Twilight. But also in the process, I saw that apparently Nora and Olivia watched Have a Good Funeral, My Friend, dot, dot, dot. Sartana will pay. (laughs) (laughs) Is that... Can you please see... Because there's one... They were hesitant to watch the one that didn't have Johnny Garko in it. Um, That does have Johnny Johnny Garko. (laughs) I was curious. Because supposedly, according to Letterboxd, the one that does not have him in it is the best Sartana movie. Um, And they were were like, but we really like this guy. Is that this one, the If You Meet Sartana, Pray for Your Death? No, that's the first one. Oh. Uh, anyway, who cares? It wouldn't be on this page, because this is true. Johnny Garko's yeah, page. Yeah, sorry. I didn't, the one I didn't, movie he's not in would not be on his I didn't, page. I didn't think about that part. <laughs> um. <coughs> Doesn't matter. Anyway, um, next movie I watched... Sorry, I'm, no, I'm just looking at movies that he's been in. Okay. The next movie I watched was Malignant. Uh, this is a horror question mark? This is a horror. I, before you, you talk about this, I did start reading the title of this movie, and I uh, definitely thought that it was going in a slightly different direction. Uh, I'm going to just say it one word at a time. At a time just give okay. it a little space in between yeah, yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dracula mm-hmm. blows. Okay. <laughs> His. Uh huh. <laughs> cool. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Definitely not the direction I thought that was going. <laughs> nope. Anyway, talk about Malignant. Malignant is a 2021 horror. something. It is a horror themed film, I will say. And much the way that, like, Castlevania is like an action game with horror themes, you know? Uh. <laughs> yeah. Like, like no one's ever been scared watching, or no one's ever been scared playing Castlevania. And similarly, I don't think you could possibly get scared by Malignant, but it is like horror. Anyway, that movie's 
fucking goofy. <laughs> I think it's sick as shit when you uh, beat when you beat Symphony of the Night and then it flips and you have to do it upside down. But I'm sure that scared some people. Yeah, I guess that probably to have to play people. the whole game again. But no, <laughs> okay. But nobody's ever been like, ah, scary skeleton. <laughs> I get the one other thing is in some of the early Castlevanias when the Medusa just comes out of fucking nowhere and hits you, it's a little bit scary. Watching Nora, because Nora played like 15 Castlevania games in a week recently, watching Nora just not be bothered by Medusa heads did feel like I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Like she was just like walking past them. She would just whip. I, I, I don't know. I would just not get hit by the Medusa heads. It was fucking crazy to watch. <laughs> anyway, tell me about Malignant. Malignant. Is this, is this the Disney thing or am I thinking no. of something else? No, 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 no. Isn't no, there no. something else that's around the character? You're thinking Maleficent. Maleficent. <laughs> Malignant. Okay. Spoiler warnings for Malignant. Because... Um, this is a movie that, like, I think you're better off not knowing the twist. I think the movie is more enjoyable when that twist comes at, like, you just see that. So jump ahead to, I don't know. Do, maybe... we, may, do we may do a little time? I can have a little robot voice come in. Sure, yeah. One hour and 32 seconds. There we go. Yeah, so spoilers. Um, so the thing is, this girl is... Um, this this the movie opens on this kid Gabriel is in like a, a asylum or something and they're like he's like has superpowers basically he's able to like control electricity and he's got super strength Magneto and, yeah basically well, wait Magneto is magnets anyway. whatever anyway <laughs> and they're like oh we got to cut out the cancer and then it's title cards and then it's like jumps ahead 20 years basically 30 years something like that and there's a, you introduce this woman who's in this abusive relationship and all of a sudden um this gabriel guy shows up and kills her abusive husband and then this gabriel guy goes around killing other people um and whenever gabriel is killing people the the other woman maddie is like having visions of it and so like gabriel is like in this apartment building killing this guy that maddie has never met before and maddie can see it and she's like i gotta go to the police so she goes to the police and they do their investigation and the murders are happening and it's getting worse and blah, blah 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 um and basically what is revealed is that um maddie was born with like had, like, a twin that she, like, absorbed, right, in the womb. And the the twin is, like, born growing out of her head and looks like a little, like, eraser head guy. He's got little T-Rex arms. And that's Gabriel. And he's evil and fucked up because he's an eraser head guy, basically. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and actually, Gabriel has been possessing her body. And she's doing the murders, which leads to a fucking sick as hell action scene. It's so fucking rad because Gabriel, so they, the police are like, we don't know what to fucking do about this. We do not know how to handle this. Let's just put her in a jail cell and figure it out. And Gabriel, like, like someone in the, the, the prison cell starts roughing her up. And so Gabriel takes over, kills 
everyone in the prison cell. Gets the guard to come over, kills the guard. Gets out into the police station, kills everybody in the police station. Just murdering dudes. <laughs> it's fucking rad. <laughs> the, the, okay, the movie is like kind of not slow. It is not a slow movie. It's just like for the first little while, it didn't have its hooks in me. I was like sticking with it because I knew that like people are like, oh, once this movie gets going, it goes, it gets really fucking crazy, man. You got to watch the whole thing. And so I was sticking with it and I was like, this is okay. This is like a three star movie. And then like once it's revealed that like Gabriel is taking over her body uh, and and doing like murders i'm like oh, this is fucking rad and I'm like, everybody is right about this movie like yeah. you got to stick with it um that that's all i have to say about the movie that's all so i just i just wanted to watch a modern horror movie and it, i was very pleased everybody said this movie's good and it's good so it's not about the disney lady <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I gave it a C for stairs. Um, you know how, like, horror movies will show you, like, suburban white homes that, like, don't make any sense? Because it's, like, like, so, in this movie, it's, like, these two people who do not have children living in, like, a four-story home with, like, six bedrooms. And it's, like... It looks like a suburban home. Like, it looks like a regular suburban home. But then you see, like, an exterior shot and there are, like, no neighbors. But you're like, maybe if they zoomed out a little more, there would be neighbors. Maybe it's just that every the houses are all spaced out a little more. It's weird. It's a weird house. I don't get the, like... Sometimes when I see this in movies, I... Like... I wonder if some of this is... is I have not been to L.A. a lot, but I've been once. Mm-hmm. And, like, you walk around and it, they're not big. Well, uh, okay. You but go. they are, like, L.A. just has sprawl where I'm just, like, in a part that feels like in Chicago. You're, it's not downtown. You're not going to have skyscrapers. Mm-hmm. Right? But there are, like, parts of Chicago where it's, like, you are going to have two flats and three flats. Mm-hmm. You are going to have the occasional larger apartment complex. Things like that. You are going to have, like, this is kind of a house but it's been converted into three apartments so, or something. So, like, most of this movie... But So when I go to that place, when I the place that I went to in L.A. was that same kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. That's, like, some of the places where we live mm-hmm. in Chicago. Of like, It feels like that part of the city, but it is just houses. They're just small houses. And when you get, like, a more condensed part, you get that, like bungalow like it's a city block and there's like houses inside and all. right they just don't build up in la in the same so, way as often so this movie takes place in seattle yeah but it's bizarre because like most of the movie is in like densely populated like high-rise seattle like we've yeah. got an apartment building of like you know 10 stories that part of seattle right yeah and then there's this house That's like, I can easily imagine this being 30, 45 minutes outside of Seattle, but I don't understand then, like, 
I, I, I don't understand the geography of the movie, and I know it doesn't matter, but it's yeah. just like it. What it what it actually is is that they for sure this was a house that existed on a back lot. They dressed it up to make it look like a horror movie, and then they had some interior yeah. sets, you know, um, that are not actually inside that house that you got exterior shots of. Yeah, you know, and they they built those sets to make it easy for a camera to maneuver around, which coincidentally made the house look fucking ginormous. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, and it's also, it's just that thing of like, the reason why I was asked, why I was bringing that up is not like that this is set in LA, but that since so, so many made, movies are made in Hollywood, do they mm-hmm. not have the clear sense that most cities do not have houses like that? Because LA does. I thought that, this this movie extremely felt like movies shot in Vancouver with like stock footage of the Seattle skyline to okay. fool you. Yeah, this extremely felt like a Vancouver okay. movie to me. Um, well, because it's also a thing of like, I mean, when we went to the picnic, we were walking on streets that are near me where right. I live in a neighborhood. Like we both kind of live in. The area that we live in is an area of Chicago where, like, literally, like, one street is halves, one street is halves nots. Where you'll yes. go to, like, a street where it's, like, you know, fairly poor. It's a bunch of larger apartment stuff. Um, right. You might have halfway houses there and things. Right. And then you literally go, like, two blocks over. Yeah. And then there's just, like, a huge fuck off house that one person owns. Yeah. But, um, like, you have to, like, cost, like, $3 million. Yeah. But those are still usually close to other ones. Yes, and that was that was the thing is that it was like this was set apart from other houses in a way that was just like I don't understand this. Yeah, <laughs> and it was bothering me. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, good movie, good movie. Um, I thought it was a little overhyped, but a good fucking movie. Just fun, yeah. just silly. Um, after the last, um stairwells i was really in a mood for like horror shit and uh this like this scratched the itch but also got me like okay now i want to watch a horror movie that actually scares me you know i had like a little bit of that with with watching jordan peele stuff last time but i was initially gonna watch us but that wasn't on streaming and so i did this but that felt like slightly different like it was like oh i just want to watch a horror movie the th- interesting thing about Twilight is I think it had a similar thing where, like, that's not scary, but it's, like, horror-themed because it's vampires and werewolves and whatever. And so it was just this, like, oh, it's, like, beginning of September and I'm watching, like, this. And now I'm going to watch, like, actual vampire movies and stuff. Hmm. I'm also going to watch, I have, like, pulled up, ready to go. Um, the I found that the King Lear, by the same director who did the Hamlet is just uh, really high quality all on YouTube. Oh, nice. So some like Shakespeare Society preserved that one. I, maybe the, maybe the uh, Hamlet is too. But, huh. Um, I, I didn't look that. for it. But uh, So I'm going to watch that at some point. But again, I just had like a weird busy week where I didn't really have evenings. Yeah, totally. Also, I spent some of the evenings watching anime. I've watched a, a, a bit of the Ruby Ice Princess. I'm like basically caught up with you. Yeah. With like you're newbie. one episode behind, yeah. But um, and then I watched another anime that I'm not going to talk about anywhere. Okay. I also watched a bunch of Paranoia Agent because we're recording that soon. 
Last but not least, on Return of Movie Autumn, I watched The Iron Giant. Not going to get into that really here, because I'm going to do a podcast about it in the morning. You can um, go subscribe to Blockbusters, uh, which is on the... You can go to Export Audio... No. Patreon.com slash Abnormal I mean, do go to ExportAudd.io and give us $5. But then after you're done... Yeah, that will not get you an Iron Giant podcast. Giving us $5 will not access you any Iron Giant content. But you should do that first. You should go to AbnormalMapping.com. No. You know, go to AbnormalMapping.com. Find the Patreon. (laughs) Because I can't talk correctly. (laughs) Give them $5. That gets you Blockbusters, a, a, a movie podcast that I'm very fond of. That I will be on uh, tomorrow morning. I believe that podcast will be uploaded and out by the time that this podcast is. Um, and I I will just say that last time I watched um, The Iron Giant was several years ago. And I did not like The Iron Giant at all this week when I watched it. Very fond of it. Almost cried. Um, we'll talk about it. Um, I just wanted to quickly say on this podcast... Stairs, C. They did an okay job with the suburban home. They did kind of a good stairwell scene on the suburban home stairs. But it was pretty brief, and they were kind of just run-of-the-mill suburban home stairs. So I didn't really want to, like, oh, yeah, that was really good. Because they had a good stairwell scene on okay stairs. So I gave it a C. I did just pull up admiralmapping.com, and if you do, at the top, there's a link, link to the Patreon um there's also support us on patreon at the bottom of that page uh i was looking to see if there's a little tile specifically for blockbusters but there's not i think because um, it's only on the patreon they just you no know, but they have great gundam project and they've got voip life VoIP but that life. blockbusters might just fall under yeah. the voip life umbrella anyway but if you click into great gundam project or voip life for some reason you get distracted from the <laughs> patreon right at the top i think you can also click enter blah 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 and get access yeah there are many ways to get there yeah i could have just said the patreon url but since you were like go do it i just wanted to commit to here's how to go do it by going to their website you can also go to exportodd.io slash abnormal mapping. That will take you to the page for journal updated. <laughs> Which also has a link to the abnormal mapping Patreon up at the top. Um, or what? You could go to best game club. Be- the second best game dot club. Yeah, but also can you, can't you go to the best game dot club and then get that. abnormal mapping? Yes. Yeah. Good, good vanity URLs. Yeah, they have more vanity URLs than we do. We just do slashes after exportodd.io. But the thing is, exportodd.io is a very good yeah, URL. I'm never going to give that up. That's so perfect. Yeah. Anyway, we haven't said what we're doing this week. Can I say something? Make a little mark here because you might want to cut it. Okay. I, the reason you might want to cut it is I'm going to tell a, a toddler story. Um, and so maybe you will decide to cut this. Okay. Um, yesterday we were watching or we were eating dinner and you said to Emily, oh, haha, do you want to watch Eraserhead with us? And your toddler said, Mama and Autumn going to watch Eraserhead. <laughs> <laughs> I can't fucking stop laughing yeah. at it. It's so fucking funny. <laughs> um, there was a part at the beginning w- w- when I was getting in the toilet where I was like, oh, we should have mentioned that this is the start of like all David Lynch all the time. We're mm-hmm. going to go through the, all 
all of the films and also the Twin Peaks. Yes. All of his films plus all of Twin Peaks. One, and, at, at some point, a person asked me, oh, you're just doing the episodes that he directed of Twin Peaks? No, we're going to do all of Twin Peaks. Yeah. So... Um, We'll, we'll probably make a note. Like, I don't have it filled in yet, but when we do the, the little spreadsheet where we normally put in director, I'm going to be checking who directed the episode and putting that in yeah. for the director because I do want to think about some of that as we're going through it of like, oh, this is a David Lynch-directed one or oh, blah, blah, blah. You know. Yeah. Um, so, we, I imagine as we get closer to actual Twin Peaks, we will maybe start to get this, but we should introduce like... I've been doing this whole podcast as if it's for usual listeners. I started with a bit about break baking bread. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I maybe should have like, hi, if you're new here, Ornate Stairwells is a podcast where normally we just watch random movies. What you heard is segment one where we just talk about all the movies we watched this week. And then we watch, you know, something together. Um, this week it's Eraserhead. Next week it'll be The Elephant Man, I believe. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we're going to start going through David Lynch. Um, um, and there was something else I was going to say as a sort of introductory thing, and it's escaped me now. So the other big thing that I think is just useful context going in mm -hmm. to this is there are lots of podcasts that you can, yes. that you can listen to yes. that are about, I'm watching through Twin Peaks and I, listen, I want to listen to a podcast. Thank you. This is the thing We're I was going to We're going to be one of those. But very specifically, we're going to be one for you have watched Twin Peaks. Yes. Um, I think, like, and I, I am saying this, like, even in Eraserhead, when we start talking about Eraserhead, I'm going to talk about stuff from Twin Peaks The Return. Yes. I want to be clear about that. And I think for the, some of these movies, I'm going to try and figure out, like, if we're just doing Eraserhead, which is what we're doing here or elephant man or whatever. I will put in the episode description, a little content warning. That's like, Hey, up to this point, or just all of twin peaks or like whatever. Right. You know, but we're um, going to, we're going to spoil twin peaks. We're going to spoil blue velvet. Yeah. But we're like, once we get to episode one of twin peaks too, I mean, I'll put a thing in a uh, like warning in the episode description as well. And we'll probably reiterate at least heavily in the beginning and then by then i hope people aren't just jumping in in the middle yeah but um that will just be like hey. when, when we're doing twin peaks it's just expect spoilers for everything. yeah i will tr i will try not to spoil any twin peaks stuff in segment one i know we get people who like listening to segment one and then coming back to like the main segment once they've actually watched the movie we've watched or something i know lots of people who are just like i want to hear about the autumn the movies that autumn and nia watched and then I'll I'll watch the Dead or Alive movies later, you know. Yeah. Um. So I will try to keep that segment free of Twin Peaks stuff. But once we start talking about Eraserhead, which we will do now, anything's on the table because. Yes. And and again for these for these movies that are not specifically Twin Peaks, I'll put after we're done recording a little thing in the episode description, so you mm -hmm. can go check there right now. But like I will say right now, like I mentioned. It's going to be up to episode eight of Twin Peaks, The Return. Yes. Um, I don't know how to talk about Eraserhead right now as us embarking on this big journey that's going to involve mostly us watching Twin Peaks. Yes. Without talking about episode eight of The Return in relation to yes. Eraserhead. So. Um, last little thing I want to say regarding all this is um, that if you have not seen Twin Peaks... Um, 
one, you should do that. It's, you know, my favorite television show. Um, and two, like, you should go listen to um, Totally Reprise, currently known as Totally Reprise Has Always Been Cool. You can find that um, on audioentropy.com. I might have that URL wrong, but if you go to twitter.com slash yourfriendmolly with a Y-E-R, Molly will be tweeting about... Um, yeah, it's audioentropy.com. You can find Totally Reprise on Audio Entropy, um, and they're going through Twin Peaks. Um, one of the people on the show has seen it before, the other two have not, and so it's like a totally spoiler-free, like, first-time journey through yeah. Twin Peaks. It is fucking fantastic. I really love Totally Reprise, not because I, not just because I also really love Molly. Um, um, we, there are also, you could go listen to, uh, if you go to idlethumbs.com, um, they had a Twin Peaks rewatch podcast that did a really interesting, good mix of spoiler, non-spoiler segments at the start, and then, like, the last five minutes of the podcast, like, ooh, we're gonna really dig into, like, you know, the deep lore, the, the, yeah. you know, that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, they, they like very intentionally siloed off some of that spoiler talk into like after the end credits. Stuff. If you want a podcast, um, where at least one person on that show has read the secret history, Idle Thumbs has got your cover, got you covered, you know? Yeah. Um, well, has read it and cares about it. Cause I, Luke, I has think Luke read it. Has Luke read it or has Luke read like Wikipedia summaries? Yeah, Not clear know. to me. Unclear. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, my, my big thing, my big like the two vibes, and this is why I agree that uh, Totally Reprised, I think, is if you're only going to do one, do that one. It is longer, but it's mm -hmm. the difference between like the vibes of uh, Twin Peaks Rewatch from Idol Thrums is you just watched the episode last night. And you're at, like, the water cooler or you, like, work with people at your job or whatever and you're hanging out and talking while you're working or whatever. Um, and you both just watched the same episode last night and you're, like, watching through it the first time and you're like, oh, blah, blah, blah. And you kind of have that, like, little bit of idle banter about a TV show you watch that you might have with a coworker. It's not going to last that long. And then maybe there's like multiple coworkers who are watching it for the first time. And then you have your one friend who's watched it before and you also have. And so then after you all talk at the water cooler or while making drinks or whatever mm -hmm. um, at the bar, you know, you and your friend are like you and your friend like text each other or you're like in the back room real quick or something. Yeah. And like, you're like, oh, man, this has uh, this connection to that, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's also a good one for like. Like, their forums are just full. If you want to dig into all the, like, way that... Yes. All the, like, conspiracy theory, basically, around it. Yes. I mean, their forums have got your back. Uh, yes. They'll give you the, like, highlights yes. in episodes. Um, but, yeah, it's just going to be shorter in general. Yeah. Um, and it's a little bit more of, like, a... Eh. Like, these, also, are, these are people you kind of know vibe. Whereas... The vibe of Totally Reprise is you're like literally sitting on the couch watching the episode yes. with some good friends and you're all just cracking jokes during it, but also talking about stuff. Yes, yes. They yeah. they do a really, I am constantly impressed at their ability to mix like real criticism with like jokey jokes. Like they just move seamlessly back and forth between the two in a way that is like very inspirational to me as a podcaster. So yeah, yeah. I cannot recommend uh, Totally Reprise enough. 
Um, you could just Google totally reprise, but audioentropy.com, easy way to find it. Yeah. Um, I am famously unfunny. Yeah. I've never laughed at anything you've said. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. you want to talk about Eraserhead? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Eraserhead debut film from um, David Lynch he had been in art school um, making movies before this but this is his first uh, full length feature film um, Did not he did not expect it to get distribution he did not expect anybody to see this movie but a bunch of people have at the time a few people saw it. And then, you know, David Lynch became, like, internationally famous, and now many people have seen Eraserhead. Yeah. It's, like, weird, like, cult classic kinda. I think it, I think it, like... So, it's this thing where, like, when it first came out, not a lot of people saw it immediately, but I think, like, pretty quickly it became, like, there were midnight screenings and people were yes. showing up for that, and the midnight yes. screenings continued. This is, like, this is, um post like and i don't think this person invented this economy i just think this of this person is emblematic of it of the like jodorowsky like we're gonna get high and go see this really abstract art movie you know yeah that was like the midnight screening audience like that he had dominated through so much of the 70s yeah. now david lynch is like entering that space in 77 yes and so i think for a while like, honestly, probably, I think when The Elephant Man also came out, mm -hmm. he was still kind of this cult classics guy. Yes. It was, he gets noticed and does Dune, uh huh, which isn't that successful, but he's, like, signaling something different. Yes. Like, getting involved with De Laurentiis, like, is a sea change in his career. Yes. Um, but that doesn't happen for, like, almost ten years after this movie. Yes. Like, it is a slow path to success. For, for Lynch in the early years. Um, yeah, and so, like, there's this there's this period where he was just a cult classic, like, director. Mm -hmm. Like, a cult director. But by the time that even I, like, born in the 80s, mm -hmm. am coming to know David Lynch, like, Blue Velvet came out before I was born. Yeah. Certainly before I would have watched it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, um, I, I saw Blue Velvet for the first time, like, in that, like, Blue Velvet was the first David Lynch film I saw. I would have seen it in that time between Enlin Empire and The Return coming out. So in that, like, weird no-man's land of, like, semi-retirement that he was in, where he was just out there on the circuit, like, hawking his stupid transcendental meditation yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, so, like, um, but essentially but, but, what... Like, the, so this exists as a cult thing for a while, but then he becomes something else other than a cult director. Yes. And it then follows him into, oh, it's his early work rather than it's this cult classic. Yes. It is no longer like a Rocky Horror thing. Yes. It is now his first film. Da the, da the David Lynch that you and I grew up with is the David Lynch who's like marrying and divorcing like Isabella Rossellini, like the most beautiful woman on planet Earth, you know, yeah. like... You know, he's going to fashion shows and, and, and you know, being a, a weirdo and being a tabloid item as much as a uh, director of films and television, you yeah. know. 
Um, and he retreats from that, but that was his public image in the 90s, and that's like, you know, a big yeah. part of his fame. Um, but Eraserhead, I, you've seen this film before. When was the last time you saw this movie? Probably high school. Probably the same it, for me. It's it, been a lot longer since high school yeah. for you. <laughs> Uh, it hit a lot different this time. Uh-huh. In a way where, when I watched it in high school, I think I was more into what it was doing, in terms of just, like, all the aesthetics and stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas now, we both got kind of bored watching this. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. what the story is about, what it is, like, existing as a dreamlike metaphor for, really hit me a lot more <laughs> now now that you're a parent. Yes. Because, so if I can do a very, this is like yeah. not a super plot heavy movie. No. But this movie is basically about like a, a almost a dreamlike representation of like um, existing and like dating and getting married and having a kid. Mm-hmm. But all the existing in this dreamlike state where some of it just becomes weird and nightmarish. And so it starts out more comically dream mm-hmm. where there's this very awkward like dinner with uh, Henry and this, you know, girl who he was seeing. And then he kind of gets a shotgun wedding and then there's a baby mm-hmm. and very quickly gets thrust into like the baby's already been born. Um, a lot of this was like practically like a pretense to corner him into this. And so then they're like living together and taking care of this baby and then the majority of the movie, and especially the horror of the movie, comes from, like, a, a very real, um, like, some of the worst uh, of, like, the state that you have when you have a newborn. Mm-hmm. Which, this is the thing that, like, people have, I had a kid, and then people would ask me, what's your biggest advice for when I, you know, they're, like, expecting, and I'm like, what's, what's your biggest advice for kids? And people will always be like, oh, get this, like this body pillow or whatever it's really great or like these bottles are the best and i just keep it real with people i just say literally the way that human beings have evolved to walk on two feet means that our hips are no longer as wide as they need to be to push out a baby at a proper developmental level and so compared to every other animal in the animal kingdom we push out our babies three months before we're supposed to Mm -hmm. and so for three months that thing is still supposed to be developing in a womb within like the broader chain of evolution Mm -hmm. and so it does not have the ability to do literally anything other than cry when it is like upset when it needs something all it knows how to do is cry Mm -hmm. and then when it has whatever it needs it just em- falls into like empty s- satiation. Right. It's sated. Uh-huh. It's not even content. Yeah. It is just sated. <laughs> and it literally does not have the br- like its brain is not formed enough to be able to form- formulate emotions and then express those emotions of I needed food and you fed me and now I am happy or I am appreciative or right. I feel anything towards you. It is like literally not even a human yet in this like personhood sense. Right. And so just go into it knowing that for three months you're going to be taking care of this thing that is going to give nothing back to you. Uh-huh. It purely just takes things from you and <laughs> is then sated. <laughs> And I think it's just important to go in and be aware that a newborn is a hellish thing to like experience, like taking care of a newborn. You are not going to sleep. Mm -hmm. You are 
not you are going to like the level to which you are able to like give of yourself and get nothing in return is going to be tested. Mm-hmm. And then after three months, it, like you make it that three months, the baby is now able to experience the emotion of happiness and joy mm-hmm. that you have taken care of it and will smile intentionally at you, not as a weird muscle reflex that will just flip for a second and you'll be like, was the baby maybe happy about what I did? (laughs) (laughs) I need something. It will actually like smile at you because you did something. It Uh will laugh. Mm -hmm. It will start laughing. Mm -hmm. And it will start becoming a human being. And then it's fucking great. I love that I have a toddler. Um, But also, I think that there's a certain like defense system that is happening when you have a newborn around not sleeping, which is that you have very poor memory formation. Mm-hmm. And so everyone a few years later was like, newborn wasn't that bad. <laughs> this movie is a very accurate representation of like the emotions that you have as a newborn, <laughs> even if you're not doing the actions that are depicted here. Uh-huh. There's just a lot, like newborns are just very difficult to take care of. Yeah. So that's my advice if you're having kids is... Uh, if you want a kid, go for it. The first three months are going to suck. Just know that. They're going to fucking it. suck. <laughs> it's fine, though. You'll get through it. It's going to be a really hard three months, though. Poor Henry does not... Well, poor baby Henry does not get through it. No. No. Or maybe just has the vision, and that's part of the horror, is that you reach the point that you imagine... You... you. Like that it you doesn't think I like I don't want you anymore, and that yes. is a horrible thing to think. Well, this is like the the thing about so much of like what Lynch's work for me is is not this is the literal reality that is happening because no Ibanda like this is not a, any sort of reality that is happening. Yeah, what is happening is I'm seeing things and I'm feeling emotions um, about them, and you know it doesn't really matter if like Jack Nance kills that baby or not. What matters is that like he thinks about it or that you are entering into this film where you're like, this character is going to do this thing and you're going to have a feeling about it, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, Jack Nance didn't do that. Jack Nance is a fucking actor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And that's just the sort of like weird dialectical relationship that like, Exists in all movies, but David Lynch is just constantly shoving in your face, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, of like, is this real? Is it not? No, it's not real. It's a fucking movie. How do you feel about the movie, though? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so on that level, I think that Eraserhead is, like, really good. And, you know, when I first saw this movie, it was, like, very dear to my heart. I, I loved this movie the first time I saw it. This time... I have not gone through having a newborn. I felt like I understood this movie and I'll get into like that. I felt like I understood emotionally what's happening in this movie a lot better. But like the experience of sitting down and and watching something. God, I wanted this to end. It's a 90 minute movie that feels like it's seven hours. (laughs) Yeah. Um, If Tetsuo can, uh, blend um machine and man into a queer orgiastic being that will uh destroy all of the world with its like promise of of weird transhumanist queer future mm-hmm. in like 67 minutes or whatever it is 
Eraserhead can wrap this shit up. Eraserhead can wrap it up in 67, <laughs> dude. <laughs> and so that's the big thing is I I don't think I saw Tetsuo for the first time too long after Eraserhead. Mm-hmm. But it was still maybe like a year or two. Uh-huh. After you see Tetsuo, you're like, Eraserhead's no Tetsuo. <laughs> that's the thing is like seeing... Like, when I saw Eraserhead the first time, I'd never seen anything like Eraserhead. Yeah. Now I have seen many things like Eraserhead, both backwards and forwards in time. I've seen David Lynch do Eraserhead better. Yeah. Like the, This the, is no episode eight of Twin Peaks. This return. is also no season one of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Like, because season one, the, 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 the opening of this movie leans so heavily into the comedy that I feel like season one of Twin Peaks really perfects of yeah. like are are these actors bad at what they're doing or are they just supposed to be acting like this they're supposed to be acting like this but like the the constant like weird line is walking where like actors are reading lines in the most stilted way possible i just think season one does better yeah you know and then talk about episode eight a little bit well the other thing that i think season one of twin peaks does is with this, you get a lot of the awkwardness at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's kind of this turn into horror and you start getting it. They're like literal things that will like recur later as images in the red room. Literally like the floor. Yes. You the get floor the in the apartment floor. building is the zigzag floor. Yeah. And then there's the stage, which obviously evokes the cur- red curtains in... Mulholland. The, yeah. Well, but then also the blue curtain and like all that. Oh, yeah, Mulholland. totally. Yeah. Like there's images in this that you see. That was part of that I thought was interesting is you get like the stage and the weird thing happening on the stage and it's a weird, like not quite real stage mm-hmm. where I'm like, oh, he's going to return to this multiple times. Yes. Um, there's also just like key images and things that he's going to grab from this and pull out. We were joking that the evolution of the arm from the return <laughs> yeah, actually a, first appears in this. There's a, there's a, there's a weird tree. That yeah. shows up and it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so. But yeah. So the other thing, some of the weakest part, honestly, there's like, I forget if it's like episode two or three. There's an episode of Twin Peaks The Return. that's a lot of Cooper walking all around mm-hmm. in the like kind of weird black and white space. I want to say that's episode three, but it might be episode two. Yeah. I feel like it's three, but I'm not sure. It kind of blends together. Yeah, same. Um, but so, so, some of that also kind of reminded me of this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's over this, in an hour. It still went a little too long. The The thing about this movie is that, like, one of the things that Lynch is going to become, like, masterful at is, like, the take that goes on, like, too long. And, like, it's, like... Maybe it's uncomfortable, maybe it's funny, maybe it's both, maybe it's like goes on too long and it's uncomfortable and then it goes on really long and it becomes funny. He like and then becomes... it goes on even longer and it becomes really scary. Yes. <laughs> or, you yes. Know. The, scary was the word I was looking yeah. for and I kept repeating things in my head. Anyway, um, uh, he's going to become masterful at that. Like, you know, like one of these days we're going to get to like Leland on the coffin and it's going to be like so good. 
Yeah. But he's like trying, he's constantly trying to do Leland on the coffin in this movie and it never works because he can never, this movie can't mix the comedy and the horror in the yeah. way that his later work can. He just hasn't figured that out yet. Yeah, there's more, he he is already getting to, I'm interested in comedy that is in this awkward space where it can very easily flip over into horror. Mm-hmm. But he hasn't figured out how to to do that flip quickly yes and so it, it is just a descent there's a point where it flips and then it just like yes. mostly has descended anymore. yes and there's still some comedy that kind of happens in it but it's like it no it doesn't have that quite and he also like existing on the edge and being able to flip back and forth more often well and also part of this is i feel like this movie and i could be wrong i i, I want to do a little more like research into uh, one of the things i really like about just king things is how much research they do into like Stephen King's life. We make this podcast a lot faster than just King things. So I'm not going to give that level of research, honestly, but I would love to learn a little bit more about the production of this movie. Cause it feels like my gut says that this movie does not have it. One of the things in the pile of twin peaks is there's that one actor who mishears like, like Cooper asks, like, what's the time? And the guy just says his name or whatever it is. Like the, the actor mishears what Kyle McLaughlin says and gives the wrong line and they leave it in because it creates like an interesting effect. And this movie doesn't feel like it has that sort of like little hint of improvisation that his later stuff will have, you know? Yeah. Maybe that's wrong, but it felt like every shot in this movie was very deliberate and like, didn't have that same sort of like, you know, people, actors are bringing something to the movie, you know. That's not to say, I think that, um, I think Jack Nance especially in this movie is phenomenal. And I think yeah. all the actors do a good job. But um, it this movie just doesn't have that little, like, extra something that he's able to find working with actors later in his career. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing, too, is later on... I feel like a thing that he gets better at too is pulling in a lot of dreamlike imagery, but in ways where I think he be, he becomes better at like there are connections that can be drawn between these images, but those image, the, those connections are always kind of in this, in this way where you feel like he is coming up with, well, if I do this connections can be drawn, but he's, I feel like he's often less interested than some of the people who like really get all um, conspiracy minded. Mm -hmm. He's less interested in like actually what does every single connection mean, but is he gets better at very intentionally setting up things where he be, he's aware that connections can start being drawn because he just thinks that will like provide interesting texture to the film. Right. Yeah. It will provide interesting things for people to play with. It becomes interesting when these strange coincidences happen. And some of them then can become meaningful and some of them you like your own brain as a watch, like a, an audience member will kind of let go of it because you haven't been able to hold anything together. The return does a lot of this because there's right. so much shit happening in the return and a lot of it doesn't seem to pay off. Mm -hmm. um, but I think he's just got better at like constructing that out. Whereas here sometimes just like weird images happen and then the ones that should be connected feel more. It's like, oh, okay, you see that like weird thing come out of his like mouth or brain or whatever in the beginning when he's flying in space. And then you see it like falling on the stage and then he wakes up and it's in bed or whatever. Right? Yeah. But like those connections are so much more 
uh, immediately and obviously drawn for you as the audience where there's less fun and like, oh, there's like weird stuff happening here um, and being able to just kind of play with it. Yeah. I think that's one of the other things that he's going to get better at. I think so too. Here. But um, th- it is interesting that the like the return in particular had some of the stuff that reminded me. And specifically because like also in Eraserhead, there's a lot of just aimless walking around mm-hmm. that fills space. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like that episode three or whatever, that one that's like primarily in the... In the Black Lodge. Yeah, Black Lodge. So like weird other mm-hmm. radiator spaces or whatever. Yeah. Where um, Cooper's walking around. Some of that kind of just becomes like... It's interesting. There's stuff in this movie, like you're talking about, of like, oh, Cooper's like wandering around, you know, that like sort of like... You're, you draw a connection there. And there's other stuff in this movie that is, like, literally reused. Like, literally the radiator comes back. Yes. You know? Literally that tree comes back. There yeah. is... And not, like, this tree is the same tree that's in The Return. Just, like, he he finds this tree interesting, and so he uses this image later. It's interesting, the stuff that's sort of like, ooh, I see how you connect these two. And there's other stuff that's like, no, he took that idea from Eraserhead. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, part of... We'll, we'll get to it whenever I get to the episode, but, like, I feel like some of that wandering also becomes aimless and slightly boring in the way that it does here. Uh-huh. But also, it's in a greater context where it's not the entire film. Yes. Whereas this is, like, being able to talk about Eraserhead as we are doing a bunch of David Lynch is making talking about Eraserhead more fun than if we just randomly pick this as a movie. And next time we're going to do, you know, Casablanca. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, so, like so, fucking owns that'd be fun but <laughs> yeah i don't have it um, but so the one thing i want to say about episode eight mm-hmm. um is episode eight has a lot of abstract imagery um has a lot of like in uh intense black and white going on but i think it is so much more like it, it is pulling lots directly from what's happening here but it is also like doing a lot of that imagery in a very, very masterful way where it's like knowing exactly when to pull from like different genre fiction. That was the one thing as I watched that and I was like, okay, some of this stuff is like experimental animation stuff I've seen. This whole part is just like your slacky, it came from outer space, like yeah. 50s horror movie. This part is, but like being able to combine those and like draw those connections mm-hmm. in, in the process. Um, is just like so much more of an electric and exciting watch. Yeah. Um, the thing for me, um, also partially was like, like the, the, the sort of abstraction in, um, episode eight leads to, for me, a lot of like, what is like what is this what is this saying what is the reaction that i am having to what i'm looking at yeah whereas like i hit a reaction that i had to eraserhead very early like in the first 20 minutes i was like i think i know what this movie's doing yeah and then that never changed in any way very For- early on they were upset laying in bed while the baby was crying and they were trying to sleep and i was like having a newborn do be like that and then that was the rest of the movie yeah, well, and also just, like, even before that, because I remembered, the main thing I remembered about this movie was the newborn stuff. I did not remember, like, going to um, her house and just, like, 
meeting the in-laws and it being super awkward and weird and yeah. all this sort of like, there was an interesting thing happening there where it was like, let me take this very real experience of like, I'm meeting the my in-laws and I'm having a miserable time and I don't understand these people and I don't fit in and no one is really making conversation. Do I need to like try and be making conversation? And they they made food, but they made food their way. But now they're expecting you to serve. And you're like, is there a proper way that I'm supposed to serve this? Because it seems like yeah. you have a very specific way that you like eat this casserole. Yeah. And I don't want to like get the casserole scoop out where normally you want it like nicely layered or whatever. And I'm just going to plop it or like yeah. whatever. You know? In my family, we all eat in front of the TV and I'm not really used to you all are sitting down together, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, and it was, so it's taking all these like incredibly real, very relatable experiences and making it so abstract that you can sort of see the absurdity and the comedy and the horror in all these like normal day-to-day things. That is like what that part of the movie is doing. Yeah. And that's what the, the, the newborn stuff is doing. And that's what the like, cheating on um the wife thing is doing when the when it like you know becomes this the bed becomes a weird like hot tub thing like that is that is like the the thing that is happening across all the situations that are presented in the movie and i never really hit a situation or 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 a scene that made me feel that differently about yeah those things that happen are fucked up those normal things that happen Aren't actually as normal as I thought they were. That's so true. Like I never really like. There was nothing beyond yeah. that for me. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It's like weirdly one note in what it's doing. Mm. Um. And it hasn't like developed. I think also uh, a thing that he'll get better at, which is like the who who often will like face the the quiet horrors that exist in society is going to affect some people more than others. And how does that affect those different people more than others? Mm. Cause like, I don't think he's like started thinking about that and developing that in the same way. Cause so much of this horror is like the dad who's on vacation and has to watch the baby. And it's just, like, yeah. Watch the baby. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the other thing is that like, so, so two, t- two things. One, I think Jack Nance gives a really good performance in this. He's like yeah. very blank, but like, he's supposed to be blank. He's supposed to, I read into his blankness that, like, he's feeling a lot of, like, oh, what if I am, I don't love this kid now, and what if I'm never able to love this kid, you know? What if it's, like, 12 years old and I still just resent this thing, you know? That's what I read into his blankness. Maybe you read something different into his blankness. Maybe, you know, like... We show this movie to a third person and they read something else into the like the blankness of a stare. I think he does really good with that. Um, and I forgot the second half of the point I was going to make. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. There was something if, else. If you, dear listener, have a sense of what the second point was going to be. Feel it was something about David Lynch as a director or, or oh, that's what it was. Is Never think, mind, don't write in. <laughs> is I think he's really good. But the movie is so much about him, whereas Lynch's later work is going to be so concerned with, um, like, you know, misogyny and, and, and violence against women and um, 
ostracization and people who are <clears throat> like not um you know part of the quote unquote like norm at the center of society and how people who are at the normal center of society are pushed out in ways um you know and that is so much like interesting and rich stuff throughout the rest of his work that now in this movie being asked to sympathize with the guy from the like what if the kid had bad vibes tweet i was like <laughs> yeah again yeah. it, it kind of is a little bit that eraser head is the just one thing the... i did think of, that i didn't think when we watched the movie but as we were talking there's not much here Mm-hmm. But I was thinking, I was remembering, because so we were talking about that dinner scene, and the part where he's holding the giant fucking knife and the giant uh, fork, mm-hmm. and he has to cut the little tiny chicken, mm-hmm. and he starts cutting it, and then there's just, like, horror and, like, stuff coming out, and, just, like, the mom starts, like, screaming and everything. Um, screaming and orgasming? Yeah, it's very bizarre. Um, and then there's the whole, you have a baby and stuff mm-hmm. that comes out after that has a certain amount of mirroring with now I'm going to like cut the, the wrapping off. Oh yes. no, I, ac- I, ac- I intentionally or accidentally cut the baby open. Yes. Which to be clear, if people have not watched this movie, it is like a, a, a very bizarre, like, uh, it's, it's not like they like made a baby and they are trying to show like an actual realistic baby. There's like a little puppet of like a fucked up like smooth Yoda looking thing. It kind of it kind of looks like um, so in Iceland they will cook the sheep's head. Mm-hmm. It kind of looks like a cooked sheep's head, to but me, as like a puppet. To me, it's always looked like a weird combination of like like what if an umbilical cord had like a sperm cell look to it, and so like. Yeah. Like, a sperm cell will have, like, a little head at the top thing, you know? And, like, that's always what I see that thing yeah. as. Oh, well, yeah. That's where the meat's off, but, like, yeah, this. This yeah. is absolutely... It, it just, I mean, I feel like people know what they're going to see if they if they do Google this, but, like, if you if type you're... in boiled sheep's head, you're going to get a, a sheep skull boiled, like, Right, meat, yeah. You know? Don't Google anyway. that if you feel uncomfortable looking at that. Yeah, but it has like a kind of similar like yeah long head. Um, I, other thing I guess we could talk about for five seconds. Um, there's a lot of like speculation. I think this derives more from this movie's reputation in the '70s of like, ooh, I think David Lynch got like a dead rabbit and like put it in the movie with the um, like. Uh, with the when he cuts open the the baby, and maybe that's true, but I don't know. You can go to any butcher in the country and be like, "Hey, can you just give me some giblets?" and they'll give it to you because <laughs> yeah. no one cares like that. <laughs> yeah, and it's like a black and white movie, so like I don't think David Lynch was going around murdering rabbits to get like props for his movie. Yeah. At worst, I think maybe he found a dead rabbit and put it in the movie. Because he also... Or he, like, had a... F- he... Because he does talk about, like... He found some... a dead cat and put it... <laughs> tried to put it in the movie and then didn't. Yeah. He just found a dead cat. <laughs> Fucking weirdo. <laughs> but, like, I mean, I could also see it being, like... Not that he, like, went and killed a rabbit. But, 
like rabbits are especially in the 70s even more than now used in laboratory testing stuff and right they, and they usually have to kill them and so just being like oh yeah i know a friend who's a lab technician yeah he's at an art school i'm sure there was like you know yeah somebody was in a biology class yeah um i know i've told this before but i did a lab class for psych and just sometimes i still think about how my job as part of that, because it was specifically for this research of like, can we figure out how to isolate the uh, components of cigarettes that help schizophrenic people, but removing the other parts that like are addictive or another way bad. Because part of it too is that like, um, the, if it is specifically nic- nicotine and we can't find the special way to isolate it to make it not addictive what's going to happen and what happens with like schizophrenics who smoke a lot is that they will need to continually increase yeah. the amount that they're taking. And that will, you know, anyway. Um, and as part of that, I had to get rats addicted to nicotine uh-huh. and study it. Right. And then at the end, I didn't do this, but they then did get killed. Right. So sucks. Yeah. Science is fucking wild sometimes. Yeah. Um, I think we're done talking about Eraserhead. Yeah. I'm going to... Ch- oh, we have at least one email because... <sighs> While I pull up the emails... Um, oh, we have the one that we forgot to get to. Yeah, that's what I'm pulling up. Yes. Um, Joe emailed us and they thought I was just you know, being sarcastic by not emailing or responding to his email. And it was that I just did not see it. So, um, sorry, Joe, we'll read your email now before I read your email. Um, somewhere out there, um, David Lynch has industrial symphony. Number one, the dream of the broken hearted. Um, this is a, like, 1990 stage show that uh, Lynch directed, Angelo Badalamenti did the music for. It's got Nicolas Cage, Laura Dern, and Michael J. Anderson uh, in it. Um, I was trying to track this down and could not. Supposedly, it has been released... um, The show was released on VHS in 1990, Laserdisc in 91, DVD in... 08 as part of David Lynch, the Lime Green set collection, which featured the performance in both full and widescreen. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, if anybody knows how to find this, please hit me up. I don't know that we're going to like cover it on the podcast necessarily, but I will definitely watch it and then make the call about if Nia needs to watch it too. Yeah. I'm going to try and... I haven't done any work trying to hunt this down, but um, as we get to it, I have some time because it's after Twin Peaks. Hmm. But I'm going to try and find the other TV shows that he yeah. did that failed. And I'm going to try and watch those. And similarly, if I'm like, oh, that was interesting, then maybe yeah. I'll have you watch I don't feel particularly inclined to watch those shows, but if you're like, oh, no, they're worth watching, I will yeah. do that. Well, and the thing, too, is like if we find this, you know... Industrial Symphony number one. Yeah. We still probably won't do it We'll do As a it full with episode. yeah. We'll do it with like whatever episodes around that chronologically. We'll do or whatever. That, yeah, it whatever comes out. Name, it comes out in 1990. Name. So like maybe we'll do it after Blue Velvet. More likely, we'll like blend it in with the missing pieces or something. We'll do a like missing pieces, other shows, um, something. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Or it'll just be one that we maybe talk about on like eh. 
That was a. We know it's going to be a slow episode. But. It's got Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern, so maybe we talk about it alongside. Um, uh, not Lost Highway. Is it Lost Highway? What am I thinking of? Maybe Wild at Heart. Wild at Heart. Yes. That's the movie with those two in it. Oh, anyway, Joe's email. Um, I just had it here. Hi, friends. Knowing that Cross Game is is the comic that is the best demonstration of the beauty of Brat for Brat. Which movie best shows the joys of Brat for Brat? Which movie best shows the terror of Brat, Brat for Brat? Which movie has the best... Joe's written here, Brad? I don't know if they if he meant to write Brat or if he meant to write Brad. It's funnier if he meant to write Brad, but I definitely don't have an answer other than, like, Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah. I mean... Probably Ocean's movie or Fight Club. Yeah. Fight Club's a good Brad. Yeah, that 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 man is a fucking Brad. Yeah. Anyway, Tyler Durden, Brad. <laughs> Brad for Brad. You know the joys think, of it. Thinking of Brad for Brad movies, Fight Club, kind of a Brad for Brad movie. A little bit. A little bit. I do really like at some point. I don't know if we're going to do it like a movie for for actual. What I should do is I should try to pitch the blockbusters. We do Fight Club. Oh, man. I feel like they would not have fun, but. Fight. Blockbusters Fight Club would be fun for me, at least. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, I do just very genuinely think, not in a way that's necessarily intentional on the part of the people making the movie, but you watch that movie and that movie is still textually about that is about existing in a repressed like state of masculinity where you believe that the only time it's acceptable for another man to kiss you is if his kiss literally burns your skin. Anyway, other Brat for Brat movies, either the joys or the terrors. Oh, what are some, some good, yeah. The hunger, not this. No. I was trying to think of, like, what have we covered that might be Brat for Brat? Um, There's, like, a little bit of uh, Brat for Brat joy in Chunking Express. A little bit. with yeah. Especially the part where um, Tony Long and... Um, yeah. What was her name? Where they're, like, both kind of aware of what's going on in the apartment, but, like... Yeah. Keeping it going. That Not is a movie that has totally fallen out of my brain. Yeah. Um, Itu Mama Tambien. That's a movie about brat for brat. Yeah, that is a movie about like two rich spoiled brats sucking each other's dicks. It's a little bit the horrors of brat for brat because it oh, is yeah. also you you finally suck each other's dicks and it doesn't actually fix anything. And you're the still, hot older lady dies. <laughs> yeah, the hot older lady dies, and you're still just uh rich terrible brats. Uh huh. Who haven't like actually learned anything other than now you have to confront the fact that you are uh, bisexual, but probably aren't going to pursue it, but you kind of want to now. Yeah. Man, that's a good movie. What else? We don't just have to do movies we've covered. I just always find that easier to look at. It's at least a good jumping off point. Um... No, no. I had a thought, but no. 
I'm sorry. I'm just not, I'm not thinking of things right now. I'm going to look at like this column, the other movies we've watched column. Yeah. Gosh, I can't fucking, <laughs> you do it. I'm so bad at using a Mac. <laughs> the, it scrolls in the opposite direction of a Windows computer. I don't know you how. You can change it the other way, but I just do it. The... No, I no, no. It to go down. It's fine. It just means that when I'm just like over here one day a week using your laptop, I'm like, oh, what the fuck do I do? Yeah. Oh, I've done it. Oh, fuck. <laughs> um, Suspiria, no. The thing that's kind of weird about this. Uh-huh. I, I love me romance as a genre, but... I, it's so dependent on character. Some of this is maybe just me being demisexual as well. That like, I want to really know characters to like fully get mm-hmm. the romance stuff. So we don't do. And so movies are often less effective at it than TV shows or books or yeah, like manga. Comic. Yeah, like manga for me. Yeah. It also doesn't help that I'm comparing everything to Cross Game in my head, which Cross Game is just perfect in every way. People got to read fucking Cross Game, dude. Yeah. Did you did you notice the how how caught up are you on pondering Bhutan? Uh the last one I listened to is the one where you actually talked about the comic for once. Did you notice that the one where we actually talk about the comic the entire time? Uh since we didn't talk about anything else that's not Cromarty High School, I couldn't come up with anything to put in the the two manga and so I put cross game in one of them to get people excited that I was gonna talk about cross game. <laughs> I did not notice it. I <laughs> I'm gonna keep it real with you, Chief. I don't look that closely at the pondering Putan art that I. Yeah. I I just don't. It's a, it's a little joke for the people who do. Um. Sorry, Joel. I just do not have a good answer for this this evening. Yeah. I just don't. the The movies are just not. The movies are failing me. Yeah. Kage Musha. The it's, Emperor and the Shadow Warrior are both brats. I still I still think that it's kind of like rude that people were making fun and like joking about the about her death this week. Mm-hmm. Because that wasn't the queen. The queen died like back in December. That was the thief who was trying to rob Buckingham Palace. And just happened to look like the queen. And so when they died, they had the thief be her Kage Musha. And now she's dead. And she was just a kindly old woman who had a much more genuine connection with the queen's family than the queen ever did. And so I think it's really fucked up to make fun of her dying. The queen's been dead for months. (laughs) Listeners, Nina has been workshopping this joke on me since like 15 minutes after the queen died and I keep telling her it just doesn't play but she keeps trying it (laughs) I just the queen's been dead (laughs) the cat doesn't even I thought we all agreed the current queen was a kagemusha I thought we all just knew this (laughs) anyway um um, next time we were watching the elephant man. I've not seen that film before. Have you? I have. Okay. I'm going to, it's also been a long time. I was about to say, I'm going to also try to watch this. I'm not making any promises. I'm not making anybody, any promises. The thing I was going to watch, it's not David Lynch at all. It's just 
one time I heard M compare this movie to The Elephant Man. I'll try to watch it. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want to get anybody's hopes up. <laughs> um, that's the end of that sentence. There, I you... don't remember what episode it was. There's an episode where you talked about The Elephant Man and what you thought it was. And at that point, I already knew that we were doing this project. And so I didn't want to say that you were wrong. And so I just smiled and nodded. Um because I just wanted you to preserve the idea that you had of the Elephant Man until we got there. But then M did ruin it for us. That's fine. And did tell you you were wrong in it. Yeah. That's fine. Anyway. What do you know about the Elephant Man? Uh, I know that that guy... Give me one sec. Lem's being obnoxious. Hello, little kitty friend. You're going to sit right here. Oh. You're going to sit right here. You're going to get pet, and you're not going to cause mischief. We're just trying to wrap up a podcast, Lem. we got like five minutes left, if you just chill the fuck out. Um, I know that that guy has... Uh, it's based on a real person, and that person uh, was disfigured in some way that made him sort of look like an elephant to a lot of people. And... I guess I just always assumed that that's a movie about, like, ooh, wouldn't it be fucked up if your face was fucked up? I guess that's what I assume that movie is. Like, ooh, wouldn't you feel bad if you had a fucked up face? Next I, time, The Elephant Man. I guess I assumed it was kind of like a... I guess I assumed it was sort of a, like, Frankenstein of, like, ooh, there's a monster, but he's, like, sympathetic. Next time, The Elephant Man by <laughs> David Lynch. If you can believe it, it's a Tuesday once again. Welcome to Ominous Stairwells, an invitation to love fancast. Where can people find you online? You can find me at FoxMomNia on Twitter and co-host. Um, Twitter is where I tweet stuff about podcasts. Co-host is where uh, every Friday and other days where I feel like it, I say it's a Fox Girl Friday or whatever day it is and post Fox Girl pictures. You can find me on Twitter at Autumnal underscore coffee. You can find me on co-host at Autumnal. You can go to exportodd.io and that'll take you to our Patreon page. And if you don't want to give us money, that's fine. That Patreon page is also just like a good little spot where you're like, where you can see the links to all the free feeds of our podcasts. However, if you want to give us a dollar a month, you get early access to this podcast. You get it a week before the free feed does. You get Bag End Book Club, which is wrapping up soon. You get um, Gotham City Limits. Um, you get Hot Singles a week early. Hot Singles is our music podcast. Very similar like format to this show, but it's about music. Um, yeah, it's a really good... I think giving us dollar is a really good deal. And if you give us $5, you get Pop Town Funk, which is a uh, podcast where my wife, Nora, and I roll um, random Funko Pops and have to, like, last time we rolled... Joey Ramone, and so we had to watch Rock and Roll High School. The time before that, we rolled Betty White, and so we watched The Golden Girls. You know, uh, we just roll random bullshit, watch random bullshit. Uh, it's really good. It's really fucking silly. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> I was just pulling this up. We should put Pondering Putin in there. Yeah, we should. One of the things you get early access 
to is Pondering Pluton, a podcast that Connor and I do, where we read a chapter, well, it would be whatever was published in the weekly magazine at the time, so sometimes it'll be two chapters if they're the short ones, but we read like a chapter um, every week, and then sometimes talk about it, sometimes we talk about it the entire episode, sometimes we don't talk about it at all. All of it is to some degree about the humor of Cromartie High School. I, I, f- I feel firm in that statement. Something. Something I have not mentioned on this podcast in a while, and I should try to make an effort to mention this maybe at like the top of each episode, um, is that if you want to see the movies we have covered in the past, whether that is like we did an episode about, um, oh God, I'm looking at a list of other, fuck me, I just want (laughs) to. Just let me do it. I would just like to see the name of a movie we've covered. So if you go to exportodd.io slash stairwell quality, you'll get a spreadsheet. And on the left-hand side of that spreadsheet, you can see, oh, an episode 37 is all about Cure. And then you can also see in episode 37, like, oh, we talked about, like, uh, Excalibur and Pixels and um, the Rififi and The Killer, you mm. know. You can see all the like non-official like segment one movies we covered. So that is like um, a great little resource. It'll also have like you know stuff that's coming up on there. Like we've got the next few. Um, obviously, they're David Lynch movies, but like there's a there's a non-David Lynch movie that we're mixing into this project that's coming up in a few weeks, and you should go to exportodd.io/stairwellquality to see what that is. Yeah. Um... The other thing I was going to say yeah, is go listen to Ghost Divers, because when you're hearing this, if it's in the Patreon feed, I guess, this Friday coming up, if it's in the public feed last Friday, it's already out, you can go listen to it right now, is the second discussion episode for Serial Experiments Lane, which you were on. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really good, a good episode. Podcast. Good yeah. podcast. Both of those discussions are really fun. I I'm, I feel very good about how I broke it up, where we could talk about very different things for the two, you know? I, I felt really good about, like, I struggled a lot with Lane, and I thought we got a really good conversation out of, you know, the yeah. struggles I had with, like, watching Lane. Yeah. So. Um, and then also you'll be on the question bucket, which Connor is going to be in Chicago for. So I have to somehow figure out how to get three people all in a space where we can record. It might just be out in my living room. It might be out in the living room. It might be at my apartment. So if the audio quality is not quite as good as it is when I record in my fairly sound-dampened closet, that's why. Yeah. Um, but that'll be fun. It'll be fun to record everything together. You yeah. and Connor have never met. No. Like, physically. No. Yeah, looking forward to that. Um, anyway. I think that's it. Okoro is real. Okokoro is real. No, it's not. It's just... I'm going to have to cut that out because we can only have M coming in <laughs> to do that. I'm not actually going to cut it out, but I am going to have to say that I have to cut it out. Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real.
some black capes back on the rack. The little goose is dead, the bats have left the bell tower, the victims have been bled, that velvet lines, the black box. The little goose is dead. Tis 